0: Hi, and welcome to Brothers Without Banners. I'm Dan, and I'm here with my brother Michael to help lead him through his first time reading A Song of Ice and Fire. We'll be diving into the chapters we're discussing today and those we read before. But the only spoilers beyond the chapters we discussed today will come from Michael's vague memories of the first three seasons of Game of Thrones, the TV show, which he watched a decade ago. Today we're discussing Bran 5 and Tyrion 5 of the Game of Thrones. How's it going, Michael?
1: You know, it's okay. I actually, I just realized, you know, you keep saying... Every every intro, you say, uh, you know, A Song of Ice and Fire. And I just realized I didn't know what the name of this book was. Is the name of the book A Game of Thrones, and it's part of the series A Song of Ice and Fire? Or yeah, is it A uh, Series Game of Thrones, and the book is named A Song of Ice and Fire? This is, this is a rough moment for me. Um, this is the type of thing that... I probably should be
0: in the business of making sure you know by halfway through the first book. Yes, the series is A Song of Ice and Fire. The first book is Game of Thrones, uh, or A Game of Thrones, more specifically. But yes, A Song of Ice and Fire, which, you know, we have not encountered in the text at all.
1: I feel like uh, that's that's true. Uh, I feel like the TV show did it the other way. They did. They did.
0: They (laughs) called the TV show Game of Thrones. It's
1: punchier. I get it. I hear it. Okay, okay, okay. I'm glad we could settle that. Well, it's a good episode, everybody. I'm so, I'm Have a so good one. <laughs> oh, God. Rude. Oh, well, I'm glad. No, we're starting off with answers. Everything is productive. We're moving <laughs> in the right direction. I gotta Maybe. be more mysterious about it. Yeah. Do- oh So,
0: man. yeah, what did you think of these
1: these chapters? Uh, y- y- you know, there's... Well, I think I said this a while ago, and I'll say it again now. Uh, Things seem to be speeding up. I think that there was a a lot of the book that was, like, sort of descriptive and learning who the characters were and setting the stage and this, you know, all of these things that were super necessary. We're now seeing sort of, like, the characters, you know, knowing that they're all sort of their own chapter, right? We're getting to see characters kind of go through the second cycle of something, you know, so we'll start with Bran. But this is Bran now. We've met Bran. We saw him go through the, you know, get injured, and now he's... Kind of like as the independent version of injured, right? Like he's kind of like right. dealing with it now.
0: Yeah, he's learning how to how to live with this new new disability. Exactly, uh, and I think that's really emphasized throughout the chapter in a, in a very cool way, where we're seeing um, the physical side of his condition pop up in his mind here and there, not as a self pitying mourning period like we've seen for the last chapter or two of his, mm-hmm. but just in a more concrete sense where, you know, he's noting where he can and can't feel things. He's thinking about what he can and can't do and how he can shift the line between those two things in certain contexts that yeah. I think is really interesting.
1: I yeah, absolutely agree. And it's fun too, because the second chapter that we read for today is uh is Tyrion. And also, you know, this is a character that we've really followed around and watched him in places of his comfort. And now we're watching him kind of have to deal with certain uh troubles in his life if you will. And uh it's just yeah so I'm getting excited about it. I thought the chapters were pretty straightforward also there's been a bunch of chapters that we spent with Ned and in you know in uh King's Landing trying to pursue mystery here. Yeah, there's less less of that sort of investigation much more sort of like here's the storyline moving forward which I thought was uh was was fun and interesting. Yeah. Um we start we start with Bran though. We start with Bran uh, out on a horse ride. Yeah, brought those plans. He's using Tyrion's saddle. And uh, and it seems to be working. He's having fun. He's with his brother. He's with Rob. He's with Theon Greyjoy. They're with a couple of uh, guards as well. And they're kind of out, and, as far as I can tell, for a bit of a jaunt.
0: Yeah. And uh, crucially, Summer and Greywind are with them, too. Mm. Uh, and, you know, you can't leave out the animals here. We learn that he they found a smart horse for him, just like Tyrion said, who will be able to
1: respond to voice commands. And the horse's name is Dancer, which I think is nice. And I think... Uh... I think it's nice too. Uh, I mm-hmm. will mention that I, I put a note down, you know, here it is. It's sort of a brotherly, a fraternal jaunt, if you will, like I was saying, plus yeah. guards. And my first reaction was like, man, like, I don't, I don't remember. Does, does Bran, is Bran aware of the attempt on his life? Is he, was that shared with him? Do you know, do you remember? That's a great question. I, I can't remember. I'm, my instinct is no, that I instinct not come up with him. My instinct was also no. And so the idea of like all these guards kind of going out with him, uh, made me think that like, like, you know, interesting that he felt uncomfortable, those. but maybe like people are like, you know, there has been an attack on his life. We're going to keep by order of Catelyn, perhaps, uh, yeah, guards all the maybe. time. Maybe I mean, sir. like she did react
0: by setting up his protection in new ways and that's for sure. And that, that could be a part of it. I took this much more as like a nobility can't go anywhere without a, a retinue without a posse right and this is their posse you know winterfell the castle is huge um we have gotten that there's the the god's wooden side which is acres upon acres i mean the walls themselves cover a pretty broad area and then around that is the town and they're going out beyond all of those things into the wolf's wood and so you know i think it just makes sense that they would have some men with them if it's just rob and bran a couple of kids effectively that leaves them very open to whatever dangers might look lurk in the wood. So perhaps yeah. they bring some other people.
1: And I get it. And I yeah, one way or the other, the guards do happen to be there. And it does make sense. Not that um, they do much. That's fair. We're getting there. I <laughs> uh, I will also add that we actually uh we get to spend a little more time with Theon Greyjoy than we really have before. He's been present yeah. plenty, but we kind of like get some perspective on him from Bran. At least uh he's always smiling. He also seems to be a bit uh and not crass, but a little, uh, no, crass, uh, I think feels right, or, yeah, well, crass humor, but yeah. I, I guess like leather skinned. He's 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 sort of quick to comment how like retribution is what needs to happen, or you oh, know, yeah. we, we don't have to worry about anything. He has a sort of a machismo to him, which honestly reminded me a little. And I'm not saying this is any relationship between the two characters directly, but reminded me of Baelish a little bit of Littlefinger, this sort of a little oh, smug okay. in his abilities, yeah. kind of thinks that he really knows what's going on all the time. But I just thought that was smirking nature I definitely yeah. associate with Littlefinger. And then you said crass,
0: and I went straight to, he starts telling a story about some women they pass by that he slept with. And Rob has to cut him off because his eight-year-old brother is there. Right. And that seems very like Theon as well. Uh, yeah. That also seems like a great characterization of him.
1: So the three of them plus the guards, but they're kind of enjoying themselves on this ride. Uh, they're enjoying... Maester Lewin too, by the way. Oh, and Maester Lewin, that's right. Yeah. Um, there's
0: a great moment early on here, just a, a little bit of scene setting where they pass through, I mentioned it already, the winter town, it's mm-hmm. called, which I think is a great piece of insight into the Starks as a house. The winter town is described as pretty empty, not because of Ned leaving and taking all of these people with him, but because it's not winter time. And the winter town is set up for all of the farmers and people out in the country around there to come cluster in around the castle, which we know has the hot springs and has warmth and greenhouses to last through the winter. And they all come and hole up for the winter because it gets so cold there. And you know, this this fits so nicely with the things we've seen from Ned and his style of leadership, his style of ruling, of caring for the people. There's, you know, the social contract goes both ways, that he is in charge, but that also gives him responsibilities and obligations. And that is such a direct, extreme contrast with Robert in the South, mm. who you can't imagine being the, the beacon of strength for the peasants, for the small folk during a harsh winter, you can't see him playing that role at all. In the way that the Starks seem to have for generations, it also makes me wonder if maybe the Starks have, at some point, had their own historical version of Robert and what shenanigans that led to. If there was somebody unlike Ned who was less equipped to handle that mantle, mm.
1: I like that. I'll also point out too that I don't think it's it's subtle in, in the knowledge and, and the sort of statement that uh, you know. But those in the north who have to deal with the cold have much more obligation to accountability and responsibility than say those further yeah. south where it's warmer and uh, there can be more pleasures to indulge in. Right, I think that's right. Um, but the three of them plus their retinue, if you will, uh, enjoying themselves. And Rob kind of comes to a stop at a quick point to kind of make uh, not just a not really a confession, but make a, a revelation to Brand. He's sharing yeah. he received. Uh, what was the line here? Uh, dark wings bring dark words, right? Yeah. He received a, a a message from some type of carrier, uh, like pigeon or whatever. Uh, raven, maybe. Raven. Uh, I think they use ravens, yeah. And it came late last night, he shares, and he's sharing the news of what just happened to Ned down in King's Landing. And we as the reader also find out a little bit. It's kind of reaffirming what we already knew, right? We know that Jory got was killed. We know that Ned was injured. Other, I'm sorry, a couple other men were killed as well. Who I don't remember mm-hmm. their names. They're nobody's to me.
0: <laughs> Will um, and Heward. Let's let's not disrespect the dead here. Sure, whatever.
1: Uh, and then uh, and Ned, you know, was in the accident where his horse fell over. It shattered his leg, and so he's being taken care by Maester Pycelle and sort of under the milk of the poppy. But that's yeah. sort of as far as we know. And Bran Bran is hit pretty hard by the the news of the death of uh, of Sir Jory.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's very sad about that. This also follows on uh, Dark Wings, Dark Words, follows on a couple of other updates that they've gotten. First, from the Wall that Benjen is still missing. And then a letter from Catelyn at the Eyrie where, you know, no comfort for her children. Just, hey, I arrested Tyrion Lannister. I'm not coming home anytime soon. That's right. um, so so Brand's really struggling with all of that news. There's also a moment here. When Tyrion Lannister's name gets mentioned where Bran tries to think about the Lannisters and it, it makes him feel sick he gets dizzy and queasy trying to think about it and something he ought to remember and that goes away
1: i know yeah this was something that I, I also marked it down in my notes and uh i i don't know how much i love this device in the book okay. uh you know, which is like, like, oh, you know, His he's trauma. shoved out the window, and he he happens to not remember that exact moment of who shoved him. And I know this is a pretty typical device used in you know narrative storytelling all the time, but he's like, ah, I know there's something in the back of my mind. I know Lannisters. Why does that make me feel so like such a taste in my mouth? And yeah, it's like, okay, man, remember I, already.
0: <laughs> I'm a, I'm of two minds about it because there's all sorts of popular stories. Um, I have no medical knowledge on this front and if it's happened to me i can't remember huh uh, but you know trauma leads to memory loss and, and the, <laughs> the mind blocking things out um so you know maybe there is some sort of realism to that but i have no clue but i, I also yeah. get what you're saying that it would be very inconvenient if Bran had woken up from his coma and said, I saw Jamie and Cersei and they were naked and wrestling. Uh, that, would, that would really get in the way of a lot of other things that are happening. For well, us.
1: yeah, it would totally change the story, right? Like this would be a much different <laughs> different story and different things that were happening. The, the, yeah, you
0: figure they'd send letters out to everybody and we'd have a very different set of events occurring
1: in, in King's Landing. We need a sketch artist. Um, <laughs> we find here uh, is actually a comment from, from Theon. Uh, which kind of speaks to what we were just talking about earlier, right? Sort of his mm-hmm. uh, his his bluntness, if you will. Uh, you know, Bran asks, sort of, what do you think you're going to do to Rob, and and Rob says that that Theon thinks I should call the banners, and Theon's comment is blood for blood, right? Like it's time. Right. Of, you know, this was an attack, Lannisters against Starks. We need to call together our tribes to basically say this is this is war. We're drawing a line in the sand, and and Brand Brand seems very. Uh, and, and I think understandably for both his age and his recent sort of awful experiences, but he's pretty reticent to have like, let's have violence happen right now. Like let's listen, you know, he's very much suggesting like, let's listen to those of sounder mind and calmer calmer minds right now.
0: Yeah. I, I think this is really the main character beat for me, for Bran in this chapter. I think it's so fascinating because we got early on, we've talked a lot about this at this point. So, you know, apologies to the listeners, but Bran is, He's the one who wants to be the hero he wants to be the knight the fighter and he's so in love with the glory of the story surrounding war and uh jousting and and sword fighting and all of that and we saw some little moments even before he fell the sadness about having to leave winterfell mm-hmm. where you know his his childlike nature, his innocent nature was shining through alongside that attitude but here, now that he's on the far side of having experienced the violence firsthand and the violence, the political violence specifically, which is what it was when Jamie pushed him out the window, his reaction to the idea of the banners and tons of men in shining armor marching off to rescue their father from the attack on him and, and fight against the Kingslayer and the imp and these evil. You know, you can see how when it was more abstract, that would be the type of thing that would excite Bran. And now he's he's just he's dreaded. Uh, by it, he's he's filled
1: with dread. I think too that he there's also something peaceful about him. I think that he wants calm and stability. Sort of the he's almost like the same same side of the coin, but opposite end with Sansa. Excited about the stories, interested in what's going on, with a little more to say. Political savvy is overstating it, but a little more sort of like <laughs> he's a little young for that. He is, but he does understand that there is. It's not just about going to the events, it's to the tournaments and all of this, but there is a reason behind the heroism of these stories. There is a tale, uh, like sort of a political map that comes out of it that says, hey, this is what moral righteousness looks like and what it could do as a leader for your land and things. And, and, and I think on a low level that it's something that shines through for him yeah. that, I, that I enjoy.
0: I, th- I think it's an implicit understanding at this point, which is what mm. I'm trying to say. I, I don't yeah, think we've I gotten then. anything explicit from him. He still at the start of this chapter thinks about, you know, sit up straight like a knight on his horse. And I want to be, I want to have that chivalric notion, that idea of courage. Uh, but there's a place where, you know, maybe six months ago he saw only the shining side of it the way that Sansa has been. And now there's some piece of him that's speaking up in the back of his mind mm. saying, hey, you know, the, those stories, you don't actually want to live that life. Um, and, and maybe there's some blessing in the fact that he's going to avoid it and move down a different path now that he can't.
1: I like that. No, and, and that makes that makes plenty of sense. And you I talk- do, yeah, go To ahead. be clear, just to, to
0: agree with you, I don't think that that in any way contradicts the idea that he is, is peaceful or innocent at heart, that he is not the type of child who would want to grow up like a uh, sander clegane you know this is mm-hmm. he he it would never click for him it would never fall into place in the same way that the the feminine side of it isn't going to click for aria he doesn't have that ferocity he doesn't have that rage that tendency to violence that is necessary to actually
1: live up to the stories that he loves and that's interesting i think that even kind of complements, kind of brings together the two comments that we're both saying right like yeah like Sansa aspires her character aspires to live up to the the chivalric notions of being a lady well yeah like filling the position as she understands it whereas bran may fantasize about being a knight and being in the kingsguard but he clearly does not enjoy the ferocity that it requires he's not yeah. the you know he's not the kid on the sports team who's hitting all the home runs he's the kid who you know writes you know is is the voiceover radio host yeah you know the radio dj kind of like talking about like like announcing the radio announcer about like what's going on in the sport and yeah. you know the dreamer if you will much more he's, than he's the,
0: writing the the long form pieces uh musing about the wonders of baseball in a summer day
1: exactly um i relate we'll, to that <laughs> Your comment about him being tested at, at chivalric levels and things comes quickly into play, as uh, this this contingent from Winterfell continues on their ride, and in fact Rob and Bran are further out ahead. They've ridden out ahead. Uh, yeah, they're and...
0: specifically trying to find the wolves. The wolves That's... have gone off. They hear them kind of make a call, um, a howl, because they've they've made a kill, and Rob and Bran go off to get them themselves. Uh, before Rob says, this is going to be faster on my own. You wait here, and he goes off to grab them so that they can head back to Winterfell.
1: And sure enough, Bran does wait. I'll add, too, that Rob is certain that they were followed closely behind by those guards that were with them, that they'll soon right. be, soon with them will be the guards, with Theon, uh, you know, and uh, Maester Lewin, I think is the Maester yeah. who's with them right now. And um, and so he goes off, Bran is left where he is, and what should happen, but uh, some uh, some some strangers... Some strangers appear. Yeah, some
0: some dirty and tattered strangers. Six of them, four men and two women.
1: Bran notices himself pretty quickly that I think two of these men are from the Night's Watch, if not all four yep. of them. No, uh, so we
0: get confirmation about two, and it seems we get comments from the women that the rest of them aren't. I mean, we don't know for sure, but two of them are in the blacks of the Night's Watch, and the other one. two men are not.
1: We also, we, we hear a name a few times uh we, we hear two two names actually get brought up very quickly by this group mm-hmm. one is Mance, who we've been introduced before as Mance raider yeah raider i think uh but he's a wildling from across the wall basically he's one of these he's, wild... he's the leader
0: that's what we've heard about so very early on it was in uh catlin one i think mm-hmm. um ned brings up that he's getting word from the night's watch about Mance Raider massing swords behind him and that he may have to go north to deal with Mance himself
1: i'll add that the comment that is said like hey we should take him to Mance raider you know we could don't just steal basically they're th- these are thugs and they're about to try to steal you know some of the goods off of this wealthy boy who's out uh sort <laughs> of by himself in, in these woods um one person says let's steal his pin he's wearing a very ornate pin to which somebody says don't don't undersell it this is a, this is a stark let's let's take him as a kidnap." Right like, like past the wall, let's take him to man's, uh, to which somebody quickly responds and says, you, you do all you want, but I'm not going further North. Like the white walkers do not care who this boy is. And I don't want to go back up there. Uh, which I just really enjoyed. It's like, I've said a couple times, you know, recently, like I'm excited about this larger meta narrative about the white walkers and what's going on there. And, uh, so it's fun to hear them creep back up once again, as well as have their again, from the opposite perspective to see that we're seeing more of those night's watchmen leaving. Like here's another yeah. small group in contingency. They're not leaving because it's cold. They're not leaving because it's annoying. They're leaving because of the spook, this sort of ghost in the night that's up there.
0: Yeah. You know, you, you it makes me wonder a lot about what's going on north of the wall because all we have so far is the prologue and a couple of references here and there, but how mm. many people have had the encounter that Royce, uh, the the commander, the leader that we saw in the prologue had. um, Waymar Royce had this encounter with his two buddies with the White Walkers. And you have to wonder how many Wildlings and how many Night's Watchmen have had that. But of course the one who survived really lost his mind from it, which is not what we're seeing from these people. So it makes me wonder, did they desert at some point because of other conditions and fell in with the Wildlings maybe? And then the Wildlings had encounters have these people actually seen the white walkers or have they just heard the rumors and they believe them? Um, and, you know, what is the reaction North of the wall in the wildling world? Yeah. Uh, how much do they know and how much are they responding
1: to it? I think also it speaks to like, you know, what we know about Benjamin Stark, right? Like I wonder if there's just more and more of these nights watch parties going North of the wall, not coming back. We're fixated on Benjamin Stark because of his relationship right. to the Starks, maybe two or three of his party, You know, came back with rumors abound sort of, you know what I mean? Like, like, I don't think two or three of his people came back, but who knows what types of rumors. So I don't know. I don't think you need a direct encounter with a White Walker to necessarily feel the fear of of Mm -hmm. them there. That's for sure. With that said, the next, the next bit of the chapter basically goes very, very quickly. Uh, It's fun. And I'm not going to go into too many details and I'll let you talk on it if you want, but basically a fight ensues. Yeah. Uh they try to pull Bran off the horse, they realize he's strapped on. There, you know, Rob comes back at one point, they begin to fight. The the dire wolves get involved. Uh, Rob is a badass, basically. Yeah.
0: I the, the really the only thing I wanted to highlight here, it's it is important to note that Rob does a great job here, although he is on horseback. And and as we've seen in the John chapters, has a lot more training than these wildlings probably mm-hmm. do. But more importantly, the wolves uh get three of the kills. There's a group of six. Five of them die, uh, four right off the bat. We'll get to the fifth one in a moment. Mm -hmm. But three of those are from the wolves. And they're not even full grown yet. We got a reference to that too. It's incredible to see how much of an asset they are to the Starks at the moment. And the Starks in the South, Arya and Sansa, do not have their wolves, but the boys all do. And they are such a huge influence on this quick fight that we have here.
1: Bran also is experiencing his own injuries in sort of a new light he's cut at one point but on his leg one of his feet i think goes into the water and so he's sort of watching you know that sort of disassociated experience that i'm sure anybody who has no feeling in a limb would have to experience i can see the blood coming out of my leg i don't feel it what does it mean to feel like that it's a quick thing that happens but i just wanted to point it out yeah Uh, it's
0: kind of what i was referencing earlier just to see him engage with the reality the physical realities of what's going on with him not in the I have to be taken care of way, but just this is my life now. This is uh, I get cut on the leg. I'm not going to know how bad it is. I'm not going to feel the pain. Things of that nature are very interesting to see from inside his head.
1: The fight starts to come to an end. Basically, we end up with a bit of a standoff. Rob with one of the wildlings, uh, one of the Night's Watchmen, basically holding a knife to the throat of Bran. Yeah, I... Rob doesn't
0: have one of the wildlings because he he kind of drops his sword and all of that mm, in that right. context, which is what leads to the next exchange, where the guy in charge who has Bran tells Osha, the other wildling that's still alive, to kill the wolves, and she says, uh, "No, I'm not <laughs> going to no kill them yourself." Yeah, like, fuck Me, off.
1: No way. Uh, Which I think is
0: interesting, because he really does seem like the leader in this context, and she is not responding to commands like he is a leader.
1: And also, too, that it's interesting to see, like, where people's lines are, right? You follow a leader because they're going to protect you and, keep you know, like, keep you together and you're stronger right. as a group. They got decimated very quickly here. You know, they're all just a tiny group. He may be a leader, but a leader of a tiny, tiny group to begin with. And, getting and it's like, I'm not getting my hands anywhere near those fangs at this point. You do that yeah. if you want. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we have a wonderful sort of rescue that happens. And Theon Greyjoy actually. So all of a sudden, uh, our, our captor of Bran uh, gets basically shot in the back with an Explodes. arrow. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, he falls over and there's Theon Greyjoy smiling like he always is. Uh, yeah. Pleased he's with so himself. Of himself. A Rod dead is, enemy is
0: a thing of beauty, he said. He announces to no one, which is another kind of finger ish moment. Yeah, which is like, like who, are you, who are you talking to?
1: He's saying it to Shut the up. camera. Uh <laughs> But with that said, he uh, Rob is less enthused. Of, oh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, sorry. it makes
0: me think of uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine, where <laughs> Jake Peralta, the, the uh, Andy Samberg character, is just obsessed with saying the cool lines after he arrests somebody or you know busts it through the door. I think you know how long was Theon brainstorming that before he fired the era?
1: <laughs> He's like, one day I'll need a lot of these lines. <laughs> Um, Rob is less enthused. Rob points out a few contingencies that would have said like, "Hey, like, there's a, a few reasons why that arrow could have missed. You could have really put like Brand's life to an end and brought it real quick to an end." Uh, you also and- think
0: about Theon shoots him from behind. He has no idea where Bran is. And I, this is probably less of a concern with a bow and arrow than like with a gun. But like, what if he hit the guy and then also hit Brand on the other side? Like that feels like <laughs> one of the available options here. I don't know. I don't know how hard how much like arrows punch through a person, but.
1: I will say while I understand Rob's reaction, I was stoked to see like the action of this. I had a really yeah. fun time with this scene and I'm glad Theon was there to shoot him. I I thought that was, was also, also
0: pissed, it's worth mentioning the guards were not there and Theon was not there for this whole thing because they stopped off because Theon saw a turkey and wanted to hunt it. Uh, well, so-
1: I was actually just gonna say the same thing, but I, I actually really liked there's a little bit of a comment where Rob says, Where the hell were you guys? Your job is to guard, and Theon, I think, smartly says back, where were you? Who would leave their brother alone like this? Yeah. <laughs> what are you like, this one uh, falls on everybody present, I think, yeah, did I, a not great job here, I agree. other than Bram. But we have, and this is how the chapter really comes to an end. Uh, we have, of the six uh, of this 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 group that sort of appeared, only one is left surviving. It's a female uh, wildling. I think it, it is Osha, I think, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah she's the one left standing to which there's a debate what do we do do we kill her do we not and i think it's uh the the, the macer that's there with them whose name i keep forgetting for some reason lewin lewin uh says well why don't we interrogate her <laughs> we could yeah and i liked also that there's uh, i think it says that you know there's there's a, a a sense of relief in rob's eyes i think rob was done killing for the day he's still yeah. very young in this book and even if he's a little older it's still a lot i don't know if he's there's killed nobody. anybody yet
0: Yeah, uh, certainly not that we've seen. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we had that whole exchange about using live steel back at the beginning with Joffrey. It it seems pretty doubtful that he's had to actually swing his sword uh, for real against anybody. And it's also just worth noting the difference between, you know, an execution in cold blood versus the heat of battle. And and that goes back to when we first met Ned, how he was saying the Lord needs to be the one to do the execution. But in this context, it's, it's hard to do it. And if it's hard to do it, maybe that means it shouldn't be done, which I think is right. Ned's original. Oh, I like point. That. Yeah. Um yeah, it, it's also, I just want to mention on this, Busha does offer to to pledge herself to Robin, like come into his service if she lets him live. Um so I just wanted to call that out as well.
1: And then the well, last we one, already saw the company she keeps like I'm sure right. she would pledge it to anybody, but so be it.
0: Yeah. Uh that, that seems fair, especially after everybody else has died. Um, the one other note I had at the end of this, uh Rob and Master Lewin chat about everything, and, and Rob points out the night's watch cloaks, kind of confirming Bran had noticed earlier, and says, like, it's kind of crazy that they were stupid enough to do this and then draw attention to themselves by attacking Bran. And Maester Lewin has a a line in response: folly and desperation are oft times hard to tell apart, which I like because it goes in a bunch of different directions. We've seen Lewin before, he's the very rational one. I don't know how interested or uh, convinced he's going to be by discussions of white walkers. But it also just speaks to, you know, hunger being forced south by the impending winter, the risk of having de- having run away from the night's watch that these men are facing. There are a million different things that could drive them to desperation. And it's a good way to view it rather than these, you know, these stupid barbaric brigands um, rather look at them instead as being motivated by some real material concerns.
1: I like that. I like that a lot. It's definitely I think the the big thing about this chapter that that I really enjoyed is that it it opened up like sort of a a whole new area of the map we've talked about and seen above the north of the wall, but now we're getting a character from the north of the wall. Mm-hmm. Mance Raider seems to be coming like a name that's going to be used a bunch. That's what they're gonna. That's what they're going to interrogate this woman about, Mance Raider, what's going on beyond the wall. Uh, and so I'm excited to see, you know, we've had half this book so far be this huge development of detail about the places that we're familiar with. It's fun to get a place that we haven't been that familiar with at all.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and that I like what you were saying about Mance there, because. I don't remember if I brought this up in the first episode or not, but something that George R. R. Martin does a really great job of that you'll notice more and more is kind of seeding characters in Mm. before you meet them. Uh, Not necessarily that we're going to meet Nance Raider, um, but certainly it seems pretty clear that he's going to have an influence on things and some influence on the plot with the amount that we've heard about him. But we've seen this countless number of times already with King Robert, who was whose name was all over the page before he got to Winterfell, most recently with Lysa. Some of the people in King's Landing were also brought up a little finger, for instance, a number of times before they even got there. Um, and so you can just kind of see the building up. Of possible major characters and their introduction to the narrative at a later stage, based on how often they're being referenced and coming up in the events that are going on around people.
1: With that said, we shift gears. We are now going going elsewhere, going a little a little further south, a little a little southwest, I think, from where we are. So uh, close. Is it southeast? It's, it's south, southeast, southernward. Well, yeah, everything's south of the north, other than the was... north, the far north. I is the north. Like the north. <laughs> yeah, no, southeast. <laughs> With that said, we move into Tyrion five,
0: yeah. uh, and
1: I know that because I wrote it down. Uh, I'm so but... proud of you. Thank you. I'm I'm maturing. <laughs> uh, but we go we go to the to the southeast. Uh, we go to the. You know, I'll We're... tell you.
0: Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. The Wheel Weaves, uh, which is the the Wheel of Time podcast that I stole this idea from.
1: Yeah. yeah. Back when.
0: <laughs> Uh, those books have chapter titles rather than character names, um, mm-hmm. and obviously, I'm including the numbers, but that's that's the typical way of talking about them in the Game of Thrones fandom. Uh, you know, you reference Tyrion five of the Game of Thrones or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. But because they have names, uh, it also runs through a point of view system. But towards the end of the books, the host that's in my role asks the host that's in your role to come up with the top three point of view characters over the course of that book. Uh, and there was an episode somewhat recently where she had actually spent the book keeping track so that she could get it right for once. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, if you had kept not paying attention, I might've tried this on you, but if you're going to, if you're going to start looking at it, I feel like a couple of weeks ago, you'd have been like, I don't know what we're on. Brand fourteen, right? Yeah, that's
1: basically right. <laughs> I, I was gonna. I thought maybe you were gonna suggest we do it the opposite direction, right? So if we're doing it from the perspective, if each chapter title here is just the name of the person whose perspective is from, maybe I can come up with three names of what the chapter should be. Ooh.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe we could do the you know an opening segment, Michael. What would you have named these chapters if you were writing the books?
1: Little man can jump. That's pretty
0: good. Uh, yeah, I don't think we've learned yet if he can jump. So far, it's no.
1: Well, I hope he can. Uh, sure. We meet We meet with Tyrion up in the Eerie. Uh yes. He is a prisoner. He is in a cell whose name I meant to write down and did not. A sky cell, I want to say. Sky cell. Yeah. A sky nice cell. And easy. The sky cells it.
0: are kind of crazy. Uh, and, and this was something I think the TV show did really well. They are open on one side with a 600-foot drop straight down to the castle sky below that we met in Catelyn's last chapter. We saw it there. Um, And they're slightly sloped towards the edge, apparently some more than others. And it seems most people just go insane eventually and choose to jump off if they haven't rolled off in their sleep already. So this is pretty horrifying as far as dungeons go.
1: Uh, Yeah, it sounds terrible. And in fact, uh, Tyrion says something to that point. He's like he would give anything to be in a regular dungeon and not this horrible, horrible sky cell. Yeah, definitely Uh. sounds better. We meet his new best friend named yes. Mord, Mord. Uh, who is the turnkey, which after looking it up in the dictionary means the jailer, uh, yes. the one who holds the keys. Uh, and this am um, is... amazed that,
0: you know, yeah, he's got the key and he turns the key to open the door. It seemed
1: pretty straightforward to me. Listen, Dan, there's a lot of mystery in this book, and I'm not about <laughs> to be fooled by something that sounds like it's obvious, only for a out. Exactly. He's
0: a sorcerer.
1: Yeah, exactly. A turnkey. Um, I'll be honest. I thought that maybe he was like another prisoner in the cell with. Ah, oh, gotcha uh and i thought that maybe turnkey was some sort of reference there uh but i i was wrong um mord seems to be like a giant ogre of a human uh who has no brains and is all brawn and is basically making uh, Tyrion's life a living hell if it's yeah. bad enough to be in the sky cell your jailer is keeping I like it. He, that Mord holds the food out of Tyrion's reach. He's like, are you hungry? Like food? is such a
0: dick move. And then eventually holds it off the edge and dumps it.
1: Yeah. He's like, Nope, no food for you. Um, and, and basically, you know, it's funny because similar to the last chapter we've had, like we were talking about, we've had a lot of chapters with a lot of different like perspectives and intrigues and things that are going on. These chapters are pretty straightforward in what they're going through right now. Tyrion's Mm -hmm. in the cell. Tyrion's in a huge shit situation. He's been arrested. He's being held captive. And he's recognizing, too, as he's thinking you know, to himself about his situation, this is not a an easily broken into situation for his family, for, for right. Tywin, for the Lannisters to come and save him from. Lannister pride might be on the line, but there, there might be a, a very true reality that he's not going to get literally saved by, yeah. by any means.
0: I mean, you had a prediction that I thought was interesting because it, it fits well with uh with Tyrion's view of his family but also with the realities of the situation which was Tyler might go scorched earth elsewhere in response to this to throw mm-hmm. a shit fit about you know his his honor being impugned and making the family look bad uh but he's it would be pretty dumb to try and send a rescue mission uh that seems like a good way to lose a lot of troops
1: right right uh so like glad that Tyrion, and he kind of says it and alludes to it too. Good thing he has his wit. Too bad it's not going to do shit for him right now.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, you know, on top of that, though, his wit really got him in a lot more trouble than he might have otherwise been in. And seeing how hard you've been on our other main character in this department... I think it's time for us to bring up some of Tyrion's failings here. No, I don't think so. We've talked before, or I've talked before, and you've disagreed about how Tyrion is kind of an asshole. He's funny about it, but you know, he has all these contexts where he's taking advantage potentially of the fact that. People don't see him as a threat and kind of kind of jabbing at them. And he did it to John before. And we saw it with his family as well. But now we have a context where that type of action is not going to be tolerated. And he gets in a lot of trouble for it. And you know, his lines here are funny, but his entire flashback, thinking on the events that got him thrown in this cell, he keeps saying, Why didn't I shut the hell up?
1: That's fine, but I do I have a, a note. I marked a line here. Hold on one second. His mouth had got him into this cell. It could damn well get him out. So we'll, we'll see. He may be goes. an ass, but he didn't shatter Ned's leg. Like his, his husband's leg. That's on Catelyn. She deserves to have to sleep with that every night. And,
0: you know, I'm sure she will. Uh, and at the end of the day, Michael, I'm not shocked that you uh, don't agree with the lesson that Tyrion is trying to teach himself in this context. Look, I think.
1: Dan, as a critical reader... It's not lost on me what George R.R. Martin is trying to say throughout this book so far.
0: Hey Michael, stop getting yourself in trouble with your dumbass mouth.
1: No, I think what he's saying is that if you're a Stark with an opinion, you won't have a leg to stand on. Oh, oh, so funny oh. cuz it's about Bran and Ned now. Oh, t- I'm telling the joke. That's bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So, like I said, you're Tyrion. Uh moving along. <laughs> With that said, Tyrion, like we're saying, I mean, he's really still in the cell now. He's got this awful jailer. He's re- he's really considering his situation and just how awful it is. He's like you were saying, talking about his wit and how it got him into this trouble. And he knows he needs to shut up a little bit and not do that. I think he even refers, I think it's in uh in flashback. But yeah. uh but he, he refers to sort of another situation in front of Lysa and little Lord Robert, her son. So where... it's, it's just the
0: one. It was when he finally got up. So we saw Catelyn get there, but Tyrion wasn't there yet. Oh, that's and then right. he comes up and makes it there. Uh, apparently he had to get carried by Bron the last little way, which made him feel miserable. Heard his but tiny little it. pride. Yeah, but then he gets brought before Lysa and Lord Robert to answer for his crimes. And that that's the interaction we're seeing here.
1: With that said, Tyrion is just in this shit situation. He's kind of going through it in his brain. His wit has gotten him into all this trouble. Like you were just saying a second ago, uh, you know, we we experienced the situation he was just in where his wit dig his hole, dug his hole even a little bit deeper. He finally makes it up to the eerie. He's put on, quote unquote, like, uh, not trial, but he's put in front of Lysa and mm-hmm. the little, her little lord, Robert. And I, this kid sucks, by the way. Like, super oh, yeah.
0: sucks. Oh yeah, no
1: argument from me. I also think I said this a while ago when we first came to the Erie and met Lysa and this little boy. But uh, a lot of uh, reminders and and I think allusions to the Lord of the Rings moment, right? The crazy king in his castle who refuses to. Oh, do we I don't talk know about this that. No,
0: you're uh, the the steward Denethor, right? Where. He's I, sitting up. It's it's in like the the third book and and movie when they get to the big city. He's the one who's ruling there because the real kings aren't present. But he's like kind of out of his mind. He ends up burning his son Faramir.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, yeah uh,
0: they had. That's actually a great call because that whole sequence, kind of leading up to it, they had looked to Gondor. You know, the last major realm of men. That that was the safety area that they mm-hmm. were going to
1: be able to go to and they get there. And it turns out this guy's kind of off his rocker. And I feel that's exactly what we're seeing here. Uh we have, and, and I really wanted to call this out, but in this moment, the little Lord Robert, this little six-year-old, the, the anemic one or whatever the one with seizures or whatever. Uh but he's basically like like a- any wit that Tyrion is saying back, any attitude, this kid is losing it. You're going to die. We're going to kill you. We're going to make you fly uh is sort of the attitude going on there.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that there's an interesting response here because Tyrion says, you know, my family's going to get back at you if I get hurt in any way. And Lysa reacts poorly to that, but Robert Aaron really freaks out, you know, tell him, tell him we're safe here. Tell him nobody can get us here. Mm-hmm. And that paranoia, that fear that we saw from Lysa the last time we were in the Eyrie really shines through. It, it becomes clear no matter how much she's tried to protect Lord Robert from that type of information, that type of influence that it is seeping through and very much so around him. And he needs to wrap himself in that cocoon of the eerie uh, to feel safe and doesn't want to hear anything going against that, which is is not a great place for your leader to be.
1: Well, he is six, but he does yeah. suck. So
0: I agree. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I this is also you can talk about the fundamental risk in having a child noble. And this is something throughout history when you have, you know, a regency or somebody ruling in their place. There is a lot more instability that comes out of that because at the end of the day, the kid's in charge and that can cause plenty of problems.
1: Yeah, I will say, too, that I, I, I I've i said this plenty of times that I really love these Tyrion chapters. I love being in his head. He's very witty. He's very smart. He's very savvy. Um, I really enjoyed part of this here as well, because part of the situation that we see him experiencing is. This threat to his real situation. Wits can take you so far. Smarts can take you so far. The kid's saying, throw him out the window. I want to see this boy fly. Lysa is ready to do it as well. It's actually Catelyn who steps up and says, don't forget he's my prisoner. I was surprised that she did that. I think it came from a sense of like honor and maybe even some of the doubts that might be creeping up in her own mind about what's going on. Maybe she's getting smarter. She understands the implications of this man's death.
0: I'm sure it's all of the above. I mean, we see from her plenty of honor in that sort of Ned Stark sense, upholding the role that she's in the duties that come with that. And from that perspective, she does not seem like a leader. And certainly Mm -hmm. Ned would not be the type of Lord that would allow for a prisoner to be executed on a whim. That's not how they do things. And There are plenty of other houses we've seen that maybe would be more flexible on that front with the Aaron's the most recent entry into that category. Certainly Mm -hmm. the Mad King used to act like that, but it does not seem to be this dark way of doing things.
1: I think this sort of like threat to his life is very deliberate, very immediate, very obvious threat to his life. uh, Leads to what like like a a few lines that he says to himself that I really liked. Uh, He goes, uh, they dare not kill him out of hand. He was still a Lannister of casterly rock. And if they shed his blood, it would mean war or so he had told himself. Now he was not so certain. Uh, yeah. and, I, and I like that. His wits are still moving. He's still trying to think through situations. It's The, the reality and, and presence of this situation is making itself so very clear to him very quickly.
0: Yeah. And then he has this wonderful thought process in the Sky Cell also about the political realities that are going yeah. on across the country, which is just another example of he's trying to keep a clear head and trying to think through things, which I think is great.
1: Yeah. And I even want to get into that too. He he starts thinking about, and, and I, I, one of the things that I love about this and his character is just how human this moment is. He's in this situation. He's in a sky cell. There's no motion here. He knows that everybody wants him dead. There's no friends here. And he starts to think like, oh, well, you know, if, if Cersei is able to keep her wits about her, right? She could yeah. help the king understand that the thing to do is have the king do the trial and how, who could rebuff that and but, but then the human part here is like, you know, all those times, the situations that anybody, I find myself in where it's like, yeah, you know, what would be great is like if other people understood the situation the way I did. And then they, but right. then it's like, you're still stuck in this moment with yourself. You know, what can you
0: do? I want to be very clear. I mean, this as a burn, but this is such a situation for, <laughs> for anybody who's smart, but also knows that they're smart. Uh, You know, all he wants is to be in control of the situation because he knows how to deal with it. And of course, here in the Sky Cells, he's the one person who is not in control of the situation in literally
1: any way. I like that while he has this sort of hopeful thinking, he follows it up with some real like cold reality. Right. And he makes some nice insights about these characters. Uh, He goes on to say to himself, his sister was not without a certain low cunning, but her pride blinded her. And then he goes on, Jamie. Super dreamy, Jamie, Jamie was. It, Jamie is even worse, rash and headstrong, quick to anger. uh You know, and and you know, I, I like this line that he uses too. His brother never untied a knot when he could slash it in two with his sword. Right, and and so for all of again, like Tyrion, with the mind of a general, is stuck as a you know captured infantryman with no uh, opportunity to kind of like lead his his team forward towards victory, towards his victory.
0: Yeah. And, and we've literally already seen that from Jamie, uh, where he went and chased after Ned and and really challenged him, physically killed his men, hurt Ned, although that wasn't directly Jamie's fault. Sure. But this has already been the reaction. And we saw plenty of discussion in that chapter when we talked last week about, you know, if you put me at, in danger, if you make this move against me, it's going to put Tyrion in danger. And so you have to assume that that news has actually not reached the Erie yet. We don't know for sure. But you can see how Jamie's rash behavior would possibly backfire on Tyrion in this situation where you know two of the three people with authority to do so are already voting <laughs> to execute the guy,
1: yeah. But so dreamy. Um,
0: <laughs> I do it's like also the... worth noting that, that the idea that he has here, just to spell it out as to how to solve the situation, is to bring in Robert, mm-hmm. have Cersei go to the king, he can order a trial. He, I mean, he could order me let go, uh, but short of that. Order a trial, put me on trial, bring the evidence out. I will get acquitted. It's gonna be easy. Uh, and and as soon as you put the Starks into that position where they have to own up in public in front of the system, everything's gonna go our way.
1: Well, I liked, you know, it's funny too, because I like that I like that there's a almost a duality uh, of his abilities that's shown right here as well. He knows that in order to win his way out of the situation, all he can do is use what he has as a tool, which is his wits, uh, you know, which is his tongue basically. Right. And and the way that he can like his rhetorical value, he needs, he understands that he needs that, that opportunity, that stage. And that one way to get that is from Robert, but then he understands that he can't control that happening. And there's a chance it might not. He then goes on to say, well, my, my wits got me in here. My wits are going to have to get me out too. And he really does come together with a, Let's find another way. A plan of like how do I get onto that stage? However, before we move to that, oh, go ahead. Oh, good. I did want to mention something before we move to that, and I'm going to go first.
0: I it's the same thing.
1: It very well might be he for a brief moment here, and it's fun because he's so hot-headed and hot-tempered, and and so angry at the situation that he's in. But he takes a moment here, very much in this moment in the chapter that where we're talking, to basically consider what the heck is going on. Yeah, and he says. You know, wait a second. Why am I even here to begin with? Uh, uh, right. So many accusations have been thrown at him right now. He's gotten the accusation of sending a, uh, an assassin to kill Bran, right, with the knife or whatever, and he's gotten the accusation of now killing Lord Aaron. And he goes on, and, and he even makes a comment, uh you know, about about the attempt on Bran's life, which I think he connects. In his own mind to Cersei and, and Jamie. He, he says, you know. Like, yeah, like, so we saw that back in that breakfast scene mm-hmm. way back when, where he kind of clearly
0: had suspicions about what had happened there and also suspicions maybe about the nature of Jamie and Cersei's relationship. I, I don't think we've gotten confirmation that he knows about that, but he seems to be raising an eyebrow at the whole context.
1: He then even comments on how clumsy the assassination attempt was, which he then follows with the line, and wasn't that peculiar, come to yeah. think of it. Uh, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but uh Baelish had made a comment when it came to the, you know, Robert, King Robert's uh command to assassinate Daenerys. Let's do this sloppily. Uh right. and and that way we'll make sure it doesn't actually get done. Uh and so uh, we had commented then, you know, maybe Baelish, the reason for leading Catelyn astray with the knife and was it Tyrion or not, it might be for some other plan of his uh, than not. So uh, just interesting to kind of see that come up. And I know it's something that we've been talking about a little bit.
0: Yeah. Uh, he follows that up with an interesting thought as well that I, I wanted to get your take on. It says, now there was a nasty suspicion. This is, wasn't about the, wasn't it peculiar? Now there was a nasty suspicion. Perhaps the direwolf and the lion were not the only beasts in the woods, and if that was true, someone was using him as a cat's paw. So, I mean, we do know that if Tyrion is innocent, he has been framed by Peter Baelish. Uh, we don't know why, but this is just an interesting. It goes so well with our our halfway stopping point in our mm-hmm. discussions there about the various players and their independent motivations.
1: Yeah. In the last chapter, it really opened these doors to North of the Wall, Mance Raider, Wildlings, and started talking again about the White Walkers. Here, that third party, that mystery character with Illyrio, who who is playing here? Right. Who's, you know, everybody's looking at the chessboard saying there's a white team and a black team. And now all of a sudden there's a few more influences that, you know, are clearly there, but nobody it's the dark matter, right? It's like, well, it's something yeah. out there that uh, that we, we don't know what, what it's yet. doing, but we think it's out there and must do something.
0: On that same theme it's worth mentioning here that when thinking about the john aaron murder that he's now been accused of it seems that it had not previously occurred to Tyrion that john aaron was murdered
1: yeah which Uh, i thought was
0: yeah i was just gonna say he says you know it was subtle if it was a murder and then contrasts that with the idiotic attempt on brand and i think that's interesting uh because we've talked about it a lot obviously the only accusation we have on the page is about it being the lannisters You've also had many discussions about the Lannisters kind of being a monolith in that mm-hmm. sense. And so if it was them, if it was Cersei or Cersei and Jamie acting together, whoever it might be, it seems Tyrion was not involved.
1: Uh, and I'll say, too, that it's interesting. It, it took me a second till I kind of realized, I mean, every character that we come into contact with for the past, whatever, 10, 15 chapters, whatever it's been, they've all known about the poisoning varus was aware of yep. it right like uh yeah you know the the small cat like everybody seems to know except it's like wait it's not a known thing necessarily we as the reader have been told it multiple times it's been the main part of many chapters it, but Yeah, the if, official story is he got sick he got sick which was just it was fun to like get pulled back to that to that reality i will say that the the rest of the chapter and and there are points to touch on but it 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 moves quickly yeah, Tyrion spends the first half of this chapter kind of going over his situation and and describing it and we get to experience and then it. And he makes him. moves. And then he says I got to get myself out of this and he comes back to that I got to get myself on a stage. And that's what he does. He convinces his his uh jailkeeper, his turnkey to give him, you know, audience. He basically says I'll make you rich yep. and I want an audience. All you have to do is give me an audience with uh with with Lysa and, and and specifically sort of the, tell her i'm ready to confess my crimes. ready to confess he's making a big play of this and that's what he does he, and then he makes a show of it so basically he shows up i don't know in the courtroom in the throne room i don't know what the in the bathroom it's like the yeah like it's a the ring. hearing
0: hall it's it's yeah. the what do they call it they call it the high hall
1: of the, the salon sure. uh and basically he gets in there and there's a lot of people there the little child is not there he's sleeping. Uh, but uh, Lysa's there, Catlin's there, all the houses are sort of spoken for. He actually sees mm-hmm. lots of houses there and those that aren't. He realizes that-
0: mentioning, uh, Sir Roderick is here now. The last mm-hmm. we had seen him, he was hanging back to heal up from his wounds. So that's it, right. it seems he's probably okay now. So that's good to
1: know. And then Tyrion does what he does best, which is that he starts to work the room. He says, I'm here to confess. He starts to confess things, uh, that are <laughs> irrelevant. You know what this uh, made me think of? Please say Goonies. Oh my God!
0: Obviously, the Goonies. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's it's honestly, it's almost the same set of stuff. Where he's talking about this shit from his childhood. I, you know, I I wish my dad would be dead. I wish my sister would be dead. I've slept with a lot of whores. That one I don't think was in the Goonies. Yeah, I thought uh, you were
1: saying Chunk's lines, and I was like, I don't, no. <laughs> I don't think that he did that. No, Chunk just uh, threw up in a movie theater speak through up and everybody else threw up okay um but so Tyrion really plays plays his his sort of fun clownish wit uh that he has there um and then he says i demand i demand a trial basically and and this is sort of the point that it comes to and uh and he takes it one step further and and i should mention uh makes it clear the result of the trial will be you either go free or we're going to throw you out the window Right. Uh, The moon window or door. Yeah, she
0: she cuts him off while he's, you know, making this show of things and says, those aren't what you're accused of. You're accused of killing John Aaron, confess to that. He says, I'm sorry, I can't. I didn't do that. So she's going to put him back in the cells. And that's that's when they
1: get into the argument about the trial. So he starts talking about a trial and he says, not only do I want a trial, but I actually I want a trial by combat.
0: Well, you saw why he says that. I think he was comfortable with the idea of an evidentiary trial at first. And she says, sure, that's no problem. The Lord of the house sits in judgment on the trial. The six-year-old child who keeps saying, I want to throw you out the window is going right. to be your judge. So that tactic did not work.
1: I will say, though, he is quick to move to the next tactic, which I do want to point out for a couple like a couple things about it. He says trial by combat, mm-hmm. to which the entire room erupts in laughter, right? He's a dwarf. Uh and Lysa says, Well, sure, no problem. Let's pick the right person to go fight you amongst these men. And everybody raises their hand. Uh, yeah. and they say, Well, I'll kill this. And to which he he has a moment where he says, Wow, I might have really made the wrong call <laughs> this whole plan.
0: <laughs> also, he has a, a bit of a moment of surprise where he's like, Ah crap, everybody hates me.
1: Yeah, there's like a lot of hatred. I will uh I will add that Lysa turns around and basically points at. Sir Bardis, uh, Sir Bardis, yeah, Somebody. Yeah, we met there. him
0: very, very briefly so far. When Caitlin first arrived, he was waiting for her. He is the captain of the guard here at the Earring. Uh so he's a little older. He's a member of the household. He's the one who trains people and things of that
1: nature. And uh, and he kind of turns around and says, "I can't. I, I'm not comfortable with this. It's it's a dwarf. This isn't honorable. This is really shitty. Yeah. Like, uh, and I think that Which was is nice
0: to see one person say that." Yeah, After and I think that's what Tyrion else the room was like.
1: Dibs was kind of like like hoping for to a certain extent. Tyrion then comes back and says, "Well, I'm not going to fight if you, the lady of the house, gets to choose a champion. Well, so should I, and I choose Jaime. I'll wait." Yeah, uh, yeah
0: it's worth noting. It, this does seem. This is the first time we've seen trial by combat come up at mm-hmm. all. It seems that this is a mainstay of the universe and something that everybody kind of understands. But it seemed it also. Just the champion aspect of it is kind of a fundamental part of this right. where you don't have to fight on your own behalf, which makes sense. That would leave things quite unfair, but you do need somebody to willingly do it for you. You know, this isn't like uh the 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 government will provide a lawyer at right. its own expense, sort of situation.
1: Which is kind of what Lysa says. She says, Well, you're gonna this trial's happening tomorrow. <laughs> you're gonna right. you're gonna do you better this. Better find somebody. <laughs> and then uh You know, and Tyrion really swings for the fences. He's like, "Listen, like you—you would dare not provide me. You deny me a trial. You would." And she says, "I'm not doing that." And then who should show up at the end of this chapter here? But Bronn. Bronn says, "I'll do it. I will be the champion here." And I'm kind of excited to see. It was fun watching this relationship develop uh, Mm -hmm. on their little walk, and we saw it at a distance, right? Like when he was captured and being brought to Catelyn. But uh, you know what's what I think is going to be interesting is going to be how this relationship continues to grow. I, I said it last, I think last conversation, I don't think Tyrion's getting thrown out the window. I think he's right. got a, a role to play for the rest of this book. Um, but with that said, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't remember a Bronn from the TV show at all. I have no recollection at all. So I don't know if there's. So that's
0: fun. I mean, this doesn't poison anything. Braun was one of a couple of characters actually, along with Osha, who we conveniently also met this episode, or, or met her, are seeing Bron here, who really had their parts played up in the TV show by virtue mm-hmm. of the actors' performances. Uh, people really loved them, and the, the showrunners really loved them, and gave them a lot more to do, which was uh, was quite fun. I also, I'm going to cut this if I was wrong, but I have a recollection of just a bit of trivia, which was Bron's actor and Cersei's actress had had a Long-term relationship that ended pretty terribly, and apparently couldn't be in scenes together.
1: Oh, wow, uh, like it was that bad.
0: <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was him. I am sure it was Lena Headey. um So I'm gonna I'm gonna look that up and confirm before we put this out. Sure, a fun little piece of trivia. That's interesting. um But yeah, this is this is where the chapter wraps up. But I want to get your thoughts on where this is headed. You have already said he's not getting thrown out of the window. Does the trial move forward? Uh, Does he escape or does the trial move forward and and Bronn wins? And then where are we going from
1: there? Well, you know, it's. I'm going to answer your question after saying something else completely different, like (laughs) high level talk for a second. Right. I feel very confident that Tyrion's making it out of here, period. I think that the the pains and the problems that the actions of Catelyn and this whole situation and now the craziness of Lysa and all that, that ship sailed. There's no putting that genie back in the bottle, right? Like if Tyrion gets out, there's no taking back the actions that have been done to him and the way that they've been done, et cetera. I, I will say that I don't like if, if Jamie rides in on a Pegasus in the next Tyrion chapter and storms the castle, with glittering valkyrie silver Uh, it would be but it also like i'm gonna say wouldn't surprise me but all i mean is that like i i would believe that there's some extreme rescue that does happen i do think braun will probably win it wouldn't surprise me if Tyrion finds some talking way to avoid conflict completely but you know if trial by combat is an acceptable type of trial if somebody can be your champion there's not a lot Lysa can do Right. Uh, except be crazy, right? And throw him out the window regardless of what happens. I just don't think yeah. that's going to happen.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's certainly one of the options. But Ben, so taking that as, as gospel, Ron wins. Then what? Are the two of them walking out of here alone back on that treacherous path that killed so many of their people? I mean, Tyrion's pretty stuck even if he gets out of jail
1: here. Well, I actually hadn't considered that at all. Yeah, I assume that they would walk away but you're right that is a very dangerous area right like i don't gosh like yeah if you win your trial by combat do they have to like give you a horse like probably not yeah that's a uh, great so i i don't know i part of me and and i'm i'm going off kind of in the deep end of like my own fan fantasy thinking here right but like mm-hmm. catlin plays a role like yeah maybe you know like like she has this weird sense of honor but like yeah, I mean, did Tyrion and Catelyn become friends? yeah like like maybe they find a commonality to try to like understand what happened to lord aaron and she becomes part of the i can see this going a lot of different directions i really don't know i'm, I'm very interested to see the resolution from all of this i don't think a rescue is coming like the pegasus jamie thing you know what i mean <laughs> like i don't I, we have I, not
0: seen any pegasi so far
1: yeah uh but maybe maybe that's what is what it is you know they they win the trial by combat they walk down the stairs and sure enough there's there's a Lannister contingent right at the door of the ear. you know what I mean like like just outside of the the veil uh and they get to like get escorted or something but but I don't know I am I'm actually really curious about that all right
0: well uh let's move on and find out how about that I love it what are we reading next We've got a Ned chapter. We're going to see what the fallout from his fight was. And then we're coming back to Catelyn, maybe for a trial, maybe for a Pegasus rescue.
1: A Pegasus rescue. So, yeah, two chapters next time. Perfect. Well, Dan, I'm looking forward to it. We're I, I want to see a little man fly or jump. <laughs> we shall find out.
0: All right. I'll talk to you next time. Bye, Dan. That's all for this episode. Next week, we'll be discussing two chapters, A Game of Thrones Ned 10 and Catlin 6. If you enjoy our episodes, please help us out by subscribing and rating the podcast on your platform of choice, and tell us your feedback or thoughts on Twitter, at BrosWithBanners. Thanks, as always, for listening.